The Table 40 Podcast with Matt and Leslie Holiday is presented by Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more shows and stories on the intersection of sports and faith, check out sportsspectrum.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Table 40. Uh, Matt and Leslie here, and today's uh, special guest is Chris Singleton. Chris is a former Major League outfielder, current ESPN analyst, and now working part-time for the Brewers, doing some analyst stuff there, too. Um, he is, uh, I think he's the best color analyst. Uh, I love listening to you and Boog on the radio. Like, if I get a chance to listen to Boog Chiambi, John Chiambi, and Chris Singleton doing a game on the radio, I'm listening. It was great. So I was, I was, we were in Jackson and I were in, uh, in Tampa for a, a PG national event and we were at a batting cage cause he wanted to hit the night before it was the night of the all-star game. And in the batting cage, they had the radio going of the all-star game. And it was you and Boog doing the all-star game and it was awesome. And like, it oh. just, I don't know. I just, uh, I really enjoy listening to you guys your, your relationship, obviously, you guys are close friends, been doing this for a long time, but uh, his, his I, I guess, uh, he's funny, and yet you guys <laughs> break it down so well and listen to you talk about it. But I, I thanks for coming on, and I just really admire uh, your work and, and the human being you are. We've always uh, run into each other here and there, and, and uh, just really appreciate you coming on. Oh, Matt, thanks. Uh, Leslie, thanks for having me, and uh, appreciate the kind words. All right, so this is a new question we've been asking our guests at the very beginning of the show. We should have run uh -oh. it by you before we hit record. Uh -oh. But right. okay, okay, so we know that you love the Lord and um, you know about the Bible. And so question number one from okay. Matt and Leslie, if you were to witness any miracle in scripture, what would it be and why? Oh, wow. Um Gosh, I mean, you you know, the first thing that jumps to your mind is Lazarus, right? All right, this guy was he's he was out, um, and it, in fact, it's interesting because I've been listening over the last couple of weeks uh, to the testimony of a guy named Dean Braxton, uh, who was dead for an hour and forty five minutes, and explains like what heaven and Jesus and the Father and everything. So you think about Lazarus um initially and like hey this guy's like out the sisters are really really um distraught and here's jesus gonna bring him back right and that's what we're all looking for but you know this may not really qualify as a miracle but um what i think was really cool to see gosh i'm also gonna tear up but um to see to see the grace and the mercy that was uh, extended to the woman caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. And uh, to think, which we can't really grasp culturally, but what she was facing and all of the accusers and everyone that was there and the miracle, <clears throat> if you will, that Jesus, uh, he, uh, kind of calmed that whole deal and, and sent people on their way. And, um, you know, even when he asked, where are your accusers? And she's like, you know, and, she, and we, we know the story, like 
the back end of it. But in the moment, and I was having this, you know, family Bible study with my wife and daughters and my son. And so we don't know what was going through her heart and her mind. You know, think about her heart racing. Okay, this could be it. This could be the, the last day of my life. Didn't know how Jesus was going to necessarily, you know, break this down. Um, but I think to me, because, you know, over my walk with God, just really trying to grow and to fall into grace more and more and to try to grasp his heart. I think that would have been something that would have really like, just, you know, really moved me, you know, in a way. <clears throat> so, yeah. So maybe a little bit off the beaten path of a, of a miracle, but you know, it's something that I think uh, is really powerful. Oh, I did too. I, I've thought about that often because as reading through the Bible, I mean, there for a couple years, I was nailing it, doing the Bible in a year. And every time mm -hmm. I would get to that place, I, I would imagine what it would have been like to have to kind of organize your own heart in a way and say, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm a sinner too. I need to walk away from this. And and how Jesus in that picture, it's just such this beautiful picture of, of what you're describing as grace and mercy and and faithful to his word, but also this charge of obedience where he says, all right, now go and sin no more. And it's just like he gave her this new trajectory of life to where she could walk out of that encounter with Jesus with this confidence to be a different woman. And to me, I'm with you. I love that story. And I think it's a picture for all of us um, in our journey with the Lord to where we're all in a place with Jesus, no matter what our sin may be where we can come with, come with, encounter Jesus with confidence, knowing that we're all in this thing together. Like all of us have struggled with, you know, all kinds of things in our life, but, but we need yeah. God's grace. And, and, um, but at the same time, there's that tension with obedience yeah. too, where we need to walk in that as well. And yeah. so, man, I love that. That's a great answer. Yeah. Might be my how do you go and, how do you go and sin no more though? Right. I know. Like, so it's like one of those things to whereas. I think the challenge as believers that we <clears throat> sometimes can come up against is this, you know, striving to be good or perfect. And when I think about Jesus ministering under the old covenant during that time, like his mission was to point people towards a need for a savior. And, you know, so it's really impossible to go and sin no more. Right. So a buddy of mine, a few years ago, shared a perspective with me on that, that I thought was really cool. And the perspective was, was, hey, this time I was here, I was in the right place at the right time to save you. But if you do this again, I may not be here to save you and deliver you. And so when you think about maybe things that, you know, poor choices or decisions that we've made and, and God rescued us and we're like, oh God, thank you, Jesus, you were there. You learn from that, like, don't do it again, try to avoid it, like, don't take that for granted, because the next time, if you do it again, he may not be able to like, you know, stop that car or stop this or, you know, whatever it was that was perhaps going to intersect your life and cause harm. And so it's, a, it was interesting to sort of look at it, like, in a different way of, of not that, hey, this go and sin no more, because you're going to be separated from me. But the consequences that you might have to deal with, like in this life, you know, in this body may be harsher next time, just because maybe that's the way that, you know, the shoe drops at that point. But it was interesting, you know, there's so many different, you know, perspectives into, into these things.
Mm -hmm. I agree with you. That's good. All right, let's go back a little bit. All right. Tell us about your life, okay? So oh, you grew up in the Bay Area. I talked yeah. to Boog a little bit. Your Wikipedia page sucks. So I had to call <laughs> some people, uh, you know, and talk to Boog. So you grew up in the Bay Area. Well, tell us a little bit about young Chris Singleton. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, I grew up uh, in, in the East Bay. Uh, you know, most people know where San Francisco, Oakland is. I grew up in Contra Costa County. And... Uh, yeah, just a, you know, kind of suburban kid, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, grew up in a divorced home. My parents divorced when I was eight years old and, um, you know, was, wasn't pretty. Um, it was an ugly divorce. It was, uh, there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of stress between um, my mother and my father. And uh, many times I was caught in the crosshairs of who are you, uh, which, who's your allegiance going to be to, uh, to and, you know, grew up with my mom, who was great. Uh, she's you know, pretty much my hero. Um, she's in heaven now, but she was an incredibly hard worker. And that's where I got my work ethic from, because I would see my mom who would, you know, leave work, go to the hospital, get a shot for a migraine headache, come home, sleep all night, get up the next morning and go back to work. And she worked at um, Union Oil, which was a, an oil refinery there in Richmond, California. And uh, she worked a man's job. And as much as I wanted to see my mom in a dress and makeup and, and heels go to work every day, I saw my mom go to work, like, you know, dressed like somebody who was going to be in a warehouse. And, uh, but she never made an excuse. She worked hard. She always um, believed that, you know, whatever it was, she could make it happen. And, uh, and she did that. And, you know, many times we lived paycheck to paycheck or whatever, but we still pretty much never like went without um, anything that we needed. So um, just huge, you know, I'm indebted to her for um, giving me that example. And, and it's really maybe to a fault sometimes that I have this mindset of there's, there's no excuse like, Hey, you just gotta, you gotta power through it. You gotta do it. There's and and sometimes it's a little hard, um, especially, you know, with your own kids. And you guys would know that, uh, you know, they don't each generation, I think because of the blessing on our lives, it's easier for them. And so they don't know the struggle we had. And then the struggle that, you know, our parents had was greater than the struggle we had. So, um, you know, I, I've been able to take those principles and I think for the most part, um, use them in a very positive way and, uh, and, and build a life for myself and my family. That's, uh, that's been really good, but, you know, growing up, I was so thankful. I, I mean, I can't express, uh, the gratitude that I have for little league coaches. If it wasn't for a few, few men, you know, Richard Diedrich, uh, Bob Perales, uh, Gary Toretta guys that stepped in because I didn't have a father around and I didn't have someone to pick me up to take me to practice or bring me home because my mom was working. These individuals stepped in and they held that space and treated me like one of their own kids, took me out to eat after games, would stay the night at their house, swim in their swimming pool, all of those things. And little did they know at the time that this kid would grow up to be, you know, the college athlete, the professional athlete, um, and even go on beyond that to be a national broadcaster, like they were simply doing what was right, that they believed was right at the time. And 
it's so cool because whenever I get the chance to, I honor them publicly, um, whether it's on Facebook or something like that. Um, because without them, I would have never, you know, oh, another guy, Richard Fukatsu, who was my soccer coach as well, same thing um, that he invested into my life. So, you know, I'm really, I'm a product of my community in terms of um, just those that pitched in. Um, they saw something in me and, and wanted to invest in me as a kid and, and uh, really helped further those opportunities so that I could develop my athletic ability and I could um, go on. Now, there were school teachers as well that were helpful, but, you know, since we're kind of down the path in the vein of sport, um, you know, those are individuals that, that really made a huge difference. So um, out of growing up, I was a little league baseball player, loved it. Then I got to high school and, you know, football was there, basketball was there, but I was just kind of ah, basketball, baseball. And uh, after my freshman year of high school, I didn't, I didn't play football or anything like that. And one day in the locker room, Gary Toretta, who is the older brother of Gino Toretta, former Heisman Trophy winner out of Miami, who was my uh, high school football teammate. Gary was a coach for us. And one day he pulled me aside and he said, Chris, why aren't you playing football? And uh, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders. I don't know what he said. You know, your mom can't afford for you to pay for you to go to college. You need to play football so you can get a scholarship and go to college. And um, I was like, okay. So then I played the next year. Then I ended up, you know, uh, getting a football scholarship to the University of Nevada. I was a baseball player, but it was kind of like, eh, it was like in the background. I play high school baseball. As soon as that season was over, I go to football camp and then I get ready for football. I wanted to play college football on Saturdays. And uh, baseball is kind of an afterthought. I was still drafted out of high school by the Astros, but I wasn't even, couldn't even see myself playing baseball in the summer. It was crazy. So with my college football scholarship, uh, I just had sort of negotiated in, hey, I want to play both sports. And they said, okay, um, we'll let you do that. Establish yourself in football. Then you can, you know, you can play baseball. So, all right, I had that in the, in the deal. So I, you know, established myself in football um, freshman year and then, you know, played again sophomore year. And then I went out and played baseball. I didn't know if I was even good enough to play college baseball. I'm serious. Like I did not even know if I was good enough to play college baseball. And I was like, I'm just going to give it a shot because this is kind of it. If I don't figure out now, it's going to be over. So I went out and uh, had a lot of fun, did pretty well, but it was like, you know, throwback. I fell in love with baseball game. And I was a little leaguer and Matt, I know you can probably <clears throat> attest to this. You got an eight o'clock game on a Saturday. Like you're in your uniform until like bedtime that night. Like it's like you play your game, then you're at the ballpark playing around, then you go home and you're playing around, you know, and you're still in your, and it's like that thing doesn't come off you until it's time to like, you know, take your bath and go to bed as a kid. So all of a sudden in college, I start feeling like that again. I'm like, man, I just want to be at the ballpark, you know, and, and drag the field after practice and just, you know, whatever. And uh, it was really cool because I started to have some success and God was opening the door um, for me. Now, granted, it was my freshman year of college when I really got born again. I, I accepted Christ when I was eight years old, kind of went through my teenage years, um, you know, had this like knowing of God, but didn't have a real like, you know, surrender and, and, and walking with him as Lord. And so, uh, you know, he interrupted my life by freshman year and things started to really kind of change and come into place. And so when it was time to, to kind of get drafted, you know, the Lord just really spoke to me and said, Hey, I'm going to open a door for you. 
Um, but you have to do this, you know, unto me and not as unto men, because one day I was out in the outfield is after practice at Nevada and the coach is dragging the field and we were supposed to run poles, run sprints. And so, you know, when he's dragging it and his back is towards the outfield, it's like, <laughs> all right, I'm taking it easy. You know, he's, just, and it was like, so I was out there doing that and, uh, Holy spirit just gently kind of, I believe spoke those words to my heart and said, Hey, I'm going to open some doors for you, but you're going to have to do this unto me, not as unto man, not, not when people are just looking, but to know that, Hey, I'm always, I'm always watching. And so, you know, I submitted and, and just quietly in my heart, you know, took that to heart and said, Oh, yes, you know, okay. And, uh, things really, um, came together. I got drafted higher than I ever would have anticipated as, you know, drafted in the second round by the giants. And it's just, it was crazy. Um, because that just wasn't even an expectation. So, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of what, what I guess brought me up to that point. I'll, I'll let you guys pick and pry if there's anything you want to get out of there. When, when did the football stop? So, so you started to realize that baseball was your passion, but you were on scholarship with football. How did, how did you, how did that all work out? Yeah. So I ended up playing, um, three years of football. Um, and so I didn't play baseball for like a year and a half, two years after high school, played my freshman year, uh, didn't red shirt. I was like a backup receiver, but played, you know, quite a bit. Then the next year I was a starter. Then it was like, okay, I'm established in football. going to go out and see if I can play baseball, played baseball. Um, and then I came back in the fall, played football one more year, which was my junior year went back in the spring, played baseball, then I was drafted. And so I didn't play my senior year of football and I played two years of uh, baseball in college and then, you know, took off to pursue the, uh, the professional career. That's awesome. That is really interesting. You must be an incredible athlete. <laughs> I mean, that's something. <laughs> like your husband, like the guy you yeah. sit next to. He's a two-sport guy, I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, so tell us about your career a little bit so it was it was six years is that right five or six years right in there yeah yeah about so, six seasons yeah so tell us a little bit about your your pro career mentors people that had an impact on your life in, in in the major leagues minor leagues people that 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 left a mark on you that maybe helped you spiritually or even just a young player maybe took you under their wing was there any people that had a great impact on your life yeah yeah, all along the way, man. And I think that, I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, there's some people that are angry out there. There's some people that, hey, I didn't get, you know, I didn't get a shot. Nobody helped me. Um, they can look at all these different things and, and, and kind of see what, uh, or, or perceive what they feel that they didn't get. But I feel that individuals, um, if you look at it the right way, like even someone that you feel um, wasn't helpful to you, maybe that person was actually showing you what you didn't want to be. Um, but I 100% um, like acknowledge the fact that like I, I could have never gotten to where I am without people sprinkled into my life along the way. So even if you want to go back to um, I mean, we could talk about host families in the minor leagues, um, but when I when I really talk about from maybe the more impactful, you know, both um, spiritual and and sort of uh, material, if you will, impacts. I go back to Double A Shreveport and being there and having such a great um, 
community of fellowship of, of players and families. And man, I, I know like people, you know, and kids want to get drafted and they want to go like straight to the big leagues, but I'm so grateful for my minor league experience because that's where like real to me, like community existed, you know, when you're not making much money, when it's an off day and we're like, Hey, let's pool our resources, food. We're going to get together and go to the lake. We're going to cook and you can hang out. And you know, we'd have Bible studies, but there was a couple in Shreveport, Rami and Christine Kujin, who were just, you know, wonderful. They were, they were older than we were. He used to play. Um, they had moved on. They were at Evangel Christian Academy. He was the baseball coach there. And, um, you know, great church in Shreveport, Louisiana, Denny Duran, uh, the pastor, uh, big time sports folks, you know, big time spirit filled, love Jesus, you know, um, evangelize uh, through, you know, through life and, and through the word and everything else in sport. But uh, they were they were a big impact um, as far as just being in, you know, a place I had never imagined I would be, you know, in Louisiana and Shreveport, Louisiana, but it became a place that uh, my wife and I just absolutely loved. And what was so cool, especially back in, you know, 1996, 97, um, when you talk about different pockets of, of the country, I mean, you're in Shreveport, Louisiana. So the divide is pretty clear between race wise. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the friends that we had there, uh, it was funny because uh, Terry and, and Becky, uh, they were a couple that lived there. And it was so funny. One night I was at Walmart. And, um, you know, trying to get moved in Shreveport. And there's this lady in front of me, and she's the sweetest lady. And she's talking to the clerk, and she turns to, to me, and she's just got Jesus all over her, right? I mean, she's probably 70 years old. And she says, she starts talking to me, and she says, you need to come, you know, come to church with me. And, uh, and I was like, I'd love to. So I, I go to, you know, uh, Shreveport, I think it's First Assembly. And, um, she's there. She meets me in the front. She's introducing me to people like I'm her best friend. Right. <laughs> and so then she's like, you got to meet my daughter and son-in-law. And so I, we met them and my wife and I just connected with them. Right. So, you know, here we are a, you know, black couple, here's a white couple and family in Shreveport, Louisiana. And we just became like super, super close. So what would be funny is you know, their kids loved us and we'd go to their little league games. So we'd show up to like little league games with them and we're walking in, not even thinking like people are staring, like the black people on one side, because if there was a black team, they're staring, the white people on the other side are staring. And like, we're not even thinking. And all of a sudden we're looking at each other and we just kind of laugh and they're like, oh, because they see like a black family, a white family that are like family and we're just here. <laughs> But it was just uh, it was just cool because we just love the Lord, man. And we just were doing life and it didn't matter. But, you know, when you go into places that have more of that sort of, you know, racial segregation and you're living kingdom, you know, I, I think it's a really bright light for people to see that it's like, hey, what's different about those people? Um, so anyway, so those folks in, in Shreveport, I could talk about, um, you know, guys like Tom Roy. Um, who's just been a great friend and mentor. He's with, you know, UPI, Unlimited Potential um, Incorporated. Um, you know, obviously PAO, who you guys are with, have had, you know, people, you know, Norm Sherry back in the day and, uh, you know, kind of dating myself how old I am, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, some of the baseball chapel folks as well along the way. But, you know, Matt, from a player standpoint, I would say, 
when I got to the big leagues or just before I got to the big leagues, there's a guy named Darren Jackson who, uh, you know, former big league outfielder who became like a big brother to me. And uh, man, he took me under his wing and, and just treated me the way that like a big league veteran, like should treat a younger guy. And uh, it was wonderful. I mean, we had a, a significant age difference, at least 10 years, but um, it was like we were brothers. And so between Darren Jackson, Willie McGee, former big leaguer who uh, lived in my same town and, you know, treated me very similarly when I was with the giants and Willie was with the giants. Um, it, you know, just great, great people that have poured into my life that I'm, I feel like I'm forever, like just grateful for what they did. And they may not even realize um, the impact that they had on me, but yeah, pretty tremendous, but man, I could go on all day <laughs> about <laughs> folks that, that uh, were so wonderful to me, but you know, just, God is so good, you know, and God just supplies like what we need and in, in, in abundance and, um, you know, not always exactly when like you're wanting it, but like overall, it, it's like this, Matt, it's like, Hey, you may have a bad week or two or a month or even season, but like over the course of the career, Hey, things are going to be pretty good, right? Like it's, if you're, if you're a pretty good player, decent player, it's going to be pretty good. And it's kind of like, with God, sometimes things aren't there exactly. Like, God, how come I'm the only believer on the team? God, how come this or how come that? And, you know, it's like hope deferred, right? The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. And so those times where maybe you were the only guy or lonely or whatever, and then all of a sudden you have a year where it's like, man, we're loaded. You know, I remember one year in Chicago, we had my buddy, Tony Graffanino, Cal Eldred, Herbert Perry, um, and we would have Bible study and like crush desserts in the room, like after, <laughs> after games. Yeah. And it was, it was a little slice of heaven, man. It was so cool. But you know, those times it was like that desire came, you know, it was a tree of life. It's like, man, I got, look at this. Mm -hmm. And it totally erased those seasons and times where it was like, man, I was the only one. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your wife a little bit. You've mentioned her and, and I'm just curious about how you guys met and and some of the mm. strategies that you implemented in your marriage when you played and in the minor leagues that, that kept you guys going strong. Yeah. Well, um, what was, how would you say it? It was like, uh, you know, sort of a triumph out of tragedy. When I was playing an A ball for the San Jose giants, um, was living with a host family who another wonderful, uh, couple, Martin and Margaret Falkowski. And, uh, Unfortunately, I get a call, really bad call, 1.30 in the morning. My mom's sobbing, crying. George is gone as my brother, my big brother, who was like my big brother, my dad. My brother was killed in a car accident that night. And, um, you know, my world was turned upside down. And uh, I lived about an hour from San Jose. So immediately got my stuff, went home to be with my family and uh, walked through the toughest week of my life. And um, experience what only other people experience, mm -hmm. right? Till you, till you sort of lose your innocence in that way. It's like it only happens to other people. And so, uh, being home that week, the end of the week, um, you know, I'd heard about a little startup church that uh, just down the street at the elementary school that I grew up going to, um, that was there. And so. My brother's funeral, you know, this was a, like a Sunday night that I got the call. We had his funeral on Saturday. 
And then that Sunday morning, I was like, hey, I'm going to go check out this church. And so I was there and I was just, you know, sobbing in church, just, you know, during worship and just, you know, really processing a lot. And um, afterward, when I was walking out, I knew the pastors um, kind of lightly, but the pastor's wife was at the door and she said, hey, Chris, I want to introduce you to some people. And they were three young ladies. And I was kind of in a fog. <clears throat> so, I mean, I just, you know, whatever. And so, uh, so I said, hi, and I, you know, how you doing? Nice to meet you. And um, again, this is the darkest time of my life. And so I go home and I remember being at home and I was talking to my mom and I said, yeah, I'm, I met someone at, at church today. And as bad as things were for me in losing my brother, meeting my wife, Shonda, you know, that at that time was, you know, I didn't know her. It was the first time I'd ever met her. It made a mark, an impression on me that, hey, I met someone and it was different you know, whatever. So then uh, not too long after that, somehow the dots connected. She came to watch me play, actually came with my mom um, down to San Jose to watch me play. And then, you know, we rode back from San Jose together and talked and got to know each other and kind of had a girlfriend at the time. Um, so it was like, all right, you know, and God was like, all right, it's time for you to, you've been kind of like, hanging on to this like other situation that's sort of long distance and it's really not and you know it's really not so it's kind of like it's time to move on from that and um here's what i'm presenting to you so so anyway so we date and uh you know after i kind of cleared everything you know out and so we ended up starting you know dating falling in love if you will um really struggling because uh i I cared like for her and I struggled internally because I had my devotion was like only to God. And so now I had another person, which was like, okay, here's this blessing. Here's this gift, but God, like, I'm not just thinking about you anymore. Like I'm thinking about her. And so I had this real struggle and, and I had to go through some very difficult times to make it to the altar. It was so hard because I was emotionally unhealthy inside because of growing up in a home with divorce with no I couldn't feel like okay hey I miss my dad or I want to see my dad I couldn't express that or communicate that I couldn't God bless my mom but where she was in life in her experience I didn't deal with emotion and so here I was point in life where it was like time for me to deal with emotion and I couldn't. And it was, I mean, it, it brought anxiety. It brought depression even so much that the thought of suicide hit me when I was engaged in 1998 and I was battling so hard with fear, anxiety, and depression because of, I love this woman. I was going to marry her, but I was afraid that perhaps this wasn't God's will, his best for me. And if I made this decision that I might lose everything as far as, I mean, I know it sounds, I know somebody's listening right now. They're like, you're crazy. You're just talking about grace earlier in the, you know, when we started this thing, like, well, how could you, well, that's where I am today. But back then I was much under a very strict law and performance 
and did not have the ability to, to operate in that way. And so I struggled and I was afraid and I was afraid that, you know, what, did, what would people think? And I was like, I was like a wave driven and tossed by the wind, you know, where James talks about, Hey, you know, if any of you, you know, ask God, you know, and he gives. And, but I was like that wave that's tossed by the sea. And it was just, if somebody said, Oh, you know, you sure this is the right person, it could send me into anxiety or depression because I'm thinking, is this the Lord speaking? And I am with the wrong person. So anyway, a real, real battle for me, like terrible. But I remember I was playing for the Phoenix Firebirds and AAA for the Giants. And this is how my day for a stretch would go. Wake up in the morning, stay in bed. For anybody that's like dealt with depression or anxiety or fear, like you know how this is. You're like paralyzed. I, I'm in the bed until it's time for me to go to the ballpark. Because of my mom's mentality, no excuses, go to work. I muster my strength up, put on my face, put on my clothes, go to the ballpark, play the game. And I would come back home right into that prison. One day, I remember going down into the car, getting into the garage, and just like this evil whisper, it's, you can end this right now. You can escape all this torment and pain. Just turn the car on and just leave the garage door closed. And it was like, it gripped me. And I'm a fighter. And it shook me. And something rose up on the inside of me and said, no. And I fought. And um, at that point, that's when I really dug in my heels and said, I'm, I'm fighting this and I'm going to win. I'm not going out like that. And, uh, you know, was able to, was able to make it to the altar, but here's the thing, right? I cheated a little bit and here's how. So our, our wedding date, our anniversary, we have two anniversaries. <laughs> October 19th is our public anniversary. Our private anniversary is September 20th. And here's why one evening after the baseball season, minor leagues, I'm back home in California. That's where Shonda was. I had a house in Arizona that I bought and I'm visiting with Shonda and we're like a month from a wedding. I'm starting to like get some more anxiety. I, I had a bout really bad bout when the invitations went out, when those went out in like August, it was like, Oh gosh, I took a dip. And that's kind of what I was dealing with in Phoenix. And so I'm, I'm with her and I find myself starting to like want to start an argument with her and by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, I could see what was happening. And it was the bad side of me that was afraid of this commitment, if you will. And I was trying to sabotage it. And I was trying to start some type of argument that would cause us to perhaps split and then like push our wedding off. And just like I did in the car that day when I was in Phoenix, when I heard that little whisper that said, hey, you can end it here. There was another little whisper and said, right now. And I said to Shonda, I stopped myself and I said, let's go get married right now. She's like, what? I said, let's go get married right now. And she knew, she was wonderful. She knew the struggles that I was having. Poor wife, I broke up with her two or three times before we even got married. And what was my reason for breaking up with her those times? I don't think God wants us to be together. 
And it's like, okay, this guy's really awesome. He loves God. He's devoted, but he's also crazy. Like at the same time. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I think one more strike and I'm out, I'm walking back to the dugout. I think she's going to tap out, but you know, she was so great, like to just walk with me through my struggles. So I go back to my house, grab some stuff, come back, pick her up. We drive up to Lake Tahoe. We pull up to a little chapel in the middle of the night on September 20th. It actually was just like right after midnight, September 20th, we get married. And the reason why I did that was because I knew in myself that if I walked through the door and locked it behind me, I wasn't, there's nowhere I could go. It wasn't my issue that oh, I couldn't be you know, faithful or committed. It was just the fear of actually doing it. It's like jumping in the pool, right? And you're like, you keep dipping your toe in. It's like, oh, it's too cold. It's too cold. Finally, you're like, I just got to run and jump in. And everything's like, good. So that's what we ended up doing. So we have two anniversaries and uh, September 20th, then October 19th uh, was our big wedding. So um, wife, you know, just the perfect balance in terms of like you guys know, you don't always agree on everything or the, the way that you approach different situations. You know, sometimes it's like, yeah, there can be some friction that way, but ultimately you create a wonderful balance for each other. And that's what she's done for me. And hopefully what I've done for her over the 20, almost 25 years of marriage. That's awesome. That is awesome. And so you have, you have kids. And how's that going with raising kids and college? And I mean, you're a little bit ahead of us. So our oldest is a, a he's a senior right now and he's going to college. Oh, so wow. any wisdom on your end is great for Matt and I, because we're about to enter that space of a college oh. athlete. Wow. Wow. That's cool. Um, congratulations on that too. And uh, it's going to be going to be neat. Um, you know, what we've tried to do, um, and again, like it's all, it's all an offering, I believe. No one has the, um, they've got the, no one has the blueprint on how your kids are going to turn out. As you know, and they're all wired differently. Um, you just, I mean, in, in all honesty, when someone tells you how great one of your kids is, like, oh, you guys did such an, an awesome job. And you're just like, by the grace of God, we, we stewarded this and we didn't screw it up. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if we could take credit for how good they've turned out, but at least we can kind of breathe a sigh of relief that we didn't screw it up, you know, too bad, if you will, uh, because you're learning on the fly. And, uh, but I think the biggest thing, which I, which I believe my wife provided a really good balance because I would have been and raised them much more strict than she would have in every way. If I would have been left to my like own devices, like it would have been like, Hey, um, it's time for you guys to go have your devotional time with God. Hey, it's time for you guys to do, you know, this, that, and another. And I would have created these like parameters, which for me personally, and you know, for those listening, if that's the way that you go and that works for you, great. But, um, thankfully for the balance of my wife, we really tried to make it more natural and free. We tried to, you know, we've, we've served in ministry. We've been associate pastors. We've been in different environments. We've seen, you know, pastors, kids, ministries, kids, kids, and seen how it can really vary how they turn out. Um, 
and you think the more you're in this environment, oh, you, the more you should love Jesus. And sometimes you see like the opposite. Mm -hmm. And so trying to take notice and, and, you know, get a better strategy for us, we really tried our best to live like an organic spiritual life where what we did in the home was um, authentic and real rather than just what we did on Sundays or on Wednesdays that we made like talk, prayer, those things very natural and normal mm -hmm. that, Hey, we don't become when it's time to pray that we don't become like different. We don't become pious. We don't go to this place to pray. We don't wait for this to worship. We don't wait for music. We don't wait for, you know, we live, try to live out of our hearts and live out of a real way of Jesus is right here right now. Okay, boom, we're at the soccer field. Hey, let's just pray real quick. All right, let's pray. You guys kind of struggled last time and let's just pray, God, Lord, give these girls unity today. Let them, let them look out for each other and, and let them play together and make it real you know, about what we're walking through and, and not just about, Hey, God, help me be closer to you. Like those are good things. Right. But we're also living this, this life. And we wanted our kids to see Jesus and the application of his spirit in a very just regular, natural way so that they might grow up and approach people and the gospel in a similar fashion. And, um, the cool thing for, for, sports and athletes families is because I think you're not in an environment, you're not in this like perfect ecosystem of like church and Christian people all the time. Mm -hmm. So you really have to, I believe, like really be real and live an authentic life. If you're going to win and impact people in the world, man, you're going to have to like really kind of know how to relate and be relatable. And I think one of the things earlier in my career Although I demonstrated a, a solid example of commitment, I also times probably forfeited opportunities because I, because I was too image conscious of my walk. And this is who Chris Singleton is. This is, you know, and people, oh, they look up to you, whatever, but um, you're not available to meet people where they're at. You know, somebody's like, Hey, we're going to go out and get a drink singing. You want to go, uh, pass on it because I can't be in that environment. Like I can't be, you know, and it wasn't until years later that I realized and almost kind of in a light way, like repenting to God that, you know, God, I was too religious in ways I was too image conscious. And although it was maybe a good example I probably at times made it harder for people to relate to Jesus because there's looking and saying my life and saying it. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I don't think I could ever live like that. Like he's, he's really disciplined or he's really this. And that's not what the gospel's about. Gospel is about being broken and saying, here's my stuff. Here's what. And so for <clears throat> a decent portion of my playing career, I probably forfeited a number of opportunities because I was, uncomfortable with perhaps being with certain people or certain environments because I, you know, was concerned about my Christian image and um, you know, but God's good. Right. And it's never too late. And uh, 
you know, and as I grew over time and, and everything like that, I think I was able to, to really pivot and, um, you know, to this day, like be, uh, have more potential to reach, you know, all kinds of different people. That's really good. What's interesting, Chris, is yesterday, I'm, I'm a big runner in prayer, and I love to listen to praise and worship music, which that's been a sanctifying process. I used to listen to not worship music. And so anyway, um, I was praying about this conversation that we, I knew we were going to have today. And you just answered the question that I felt that the Lord wanted me to ask you was like, just your process. And the more you learned about Jesus, like what changed? And to me, I hear you saying that you thought religion and representing the Lord looked like one way, but then the more you learned about Jesus and it just kind of, you sort of reframed what it looked like to be a Christian man and, and be on mission with the people that God's given you in your life. And um, that's really neat how the Holy Spirit will speak to us when, when we mm -hmm. ask him to. <laughs> and so yeah. anyway, that's, that's really, really cool. Cause I've seen that in my, in my life too. I thought when I became a believer, there was this behavior that I needed to, um, that I need, I just needed to look a certain way and act a certain way and not put mm -hmm. myself in positions that um, were a little wild. But then as I got older and, and really started to understand who God was, I felt like the Holy Spirit was teaching me that, that God is just with us and that my role was to go and be with the people that he's created. And even if it meant um, a place that, that I thought I shouldn't, I shouldn't be, that didn't mean that I wasn't going to yeah represent the Lord. But um, anyway, I, I love how you describe that. That was so, so cool for me to hear. You know what I found and what is like, because right, we, we say to God be the glory, right, for, for all things. But for me, the reality of, of that oftentimes is when you get up that day, you go about your stuff, boom, it's not your most quote unquote, spiritual day. And God puts you in a situation to speak, share, love on somebody, whatever it is. And it is more anointed and more powerful than anything you've experienced in a while. And you're sitting there and you're saying, oh my goodness, like I am, I had this one time, it was, it was like, I'm kind of a crier sometimes when I like these, I think about these things that move, but I'm in this, uh, I'm in this hot yoga class and the yoga instructor, sweet younger lady, um, she and her husband, they're having their first you know, child. And I had gotten to know her over time, loved her class. And uh, we had kind of, you know, become friends just because I, you know, I'm a certified health and nutrition coach and, and I do like wellness stuff in terms of, um, just different modalities of like progressive healing and things like that. And so she was very curious and that was kind of an opportunity to sort of connect with, with people like in the yoga space, like the ultimate mission is always like Jesus, right? It's always like life and Jesus, but you can, these parallels and common ground things that you can connect with people on. And so she'd wanted to connect with me, um, on some health stuff. We never really got the time. But as like, she's getting closer to her pregnancy, I was, I'd been traveling a lot. I text the studio owner one day about a class because the schedule online was kind of, you know, changing and things like that. And uh, she said, oh, you should come to 
the class Friday because this individual that your buddy's with, this is her last class before she has the baby. So I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I can make it. I'm on a tight schedule, but like the Lord worked it out and I made it. So I'm in this class and um, class is packed that day. The only spot was next to the instructor. So if you've ever done like, you know, any kind of class like that, last place you want to be. And she's a beast. So I like, I did not want to be close to her because when I need to take a break, you know, on a downward dog or something like that, like, or whatever it is, I, I don't, I don't want her like yelling at me or something. Not that she'd yell at me, but you know, but anyway, so it just, I never picked that spot. So we're getting towards the end of the class and that little gentle, gentle whisper says, Hey, pray for Tessa today. And so like, okay, so class ends. And I turned to her. I said, Hey, Tessa, would it be okay if I prayed for you today and the baby and your husband? And she said, yeah, sure. And so, I mean, we're deep, like 25, 30 people in this class. And so I turned to everyone. I said, Hey, everyone, um, you know, this is her last class, she's having her first child. And um, I'm going to pray for her. And I just invite anyone that wants to stick around. You're welcome. And she's such a wonderful person. So loved. every single person stayed. So we got in a circle, put Tessa in the middle, and we held hands. And just, I mean, and these are not like believer people. There may be some, but it's not a Christian like place. And man, I just waited on the Lord, like just gently. And the Holy Spirit just started to move, started to pray. And women started to sob and cry and prayed beyond just for this lady, but other people in there. And God moved in that place to whereas when I left, I, when I came home, I just had to sit for a little while because I was absolutely blown away at what God did. Afterward, people coming up and saying, thank you so much, like crying, like I felt God, like I've been far from God, or this is going on, or this is what, whatever, whatever. And um, you're just like, Oh my goodness, God, I had no idea that this is what you were going to do. And was I qualified? Was I like, you know, prayed up? Was I like all these things that I had like gone into boot camp before this day? Absolutely not. But it was him and it was his spirit abiding in us. And so you can step into action. Like so many times what prevents people from stepping into action and the power of God is them looking at themselves and saying, ah, you know, I'm like, I haven't been in the word a whole lot lately. Oh, I haven't been praying like a whole lot. Then they shy away from something rather than knowing that, hey, the spirit of God is in you. And it's not determined upon your performance of what you've been doing, how good you've performing, been performing, you know, lately or not. You step into action when God gives you an opportunity. And, um, I was just, you know, those were one of the, that was one of those incidents where you're just blown away at God and saying, wow, God, you allowed me to be 
a part of something that only you could do. And even the message that I got from her later on was, Chris, I've never experienced anything like that before. And I will never forget it in my life. So I don't know, we've been all over the place. And I'm sorry for hijacking this, but it's your fault. You invited me to come on. And you know, I'm a, a broadcaster. So I talk my head off. <laughs> that's why we no. We're, that's why it's a it's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. So, we just, okay. so good. I love I've loved learning from you this morning. This has been such a joy for me for sure. All right, ask him our last question. Okay, so this last is- question. So your table 40 is the name of the podcast. So, you know, I, probably like you, we, we love having people over. We have people in our house almost every night. We did when we played, teammates. And, and table 40, we like to sit around the table, get to know people. Um, so, and then, you know, we like to eat. So if you get, <laughs> if you, if you get fellowship, it, man. If you had, uh, if you had a table and you got to bring... I don't know, six, eight, 10 people besides your family to dinner. And you can go, it's been all over the board on who people have said. So this could be like teammates. This could be like friends. This could be the people, your coaches, it could be anybody Bible, you know, Paul, you could bring Paul. I mean, anybody really. And Uh who are you bringing and what's the food choice of Chris Singleton? What, what are we eating? Oh, wow. Um, let's see. As far as, gosh, people, man, I, uh, you know, like one thing for me with people is that like, I find pretty much every individual interesting. Like I'm a big, if I get a chance, Hey, tell me, tell me about your journey. Like, what's your story? Like, it's not just a believer. Like it could just be someone you're, you happen to start having a conversation with. So like, I really I kind of, it doesn't take a whole lot to like, you know, satisfy me because every story is original or unique. Um, So it'd be hard for me to say like right away, like who I would want, because I'd probably pick and be disappointed, you know, where it's like, always like, all right, God, you just kind of provide the folks and um, I'm sure it'll work out great. But if I was thinking scripturally or something like that, um, you know, maybe Peter, be like, dude, what's like, dude, what's the deal? Like, tell me about your anger issues. Like, tell me about like, you know, like tell me about like, your stuff. Like what's, you know, really like, how much do you swear still? I know you're saved now, but like, you know, like just stuff with like, let's keep it real. Like, you know, tell me about the grace of God. I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I guess the Bible people, but you know, obviously my wife, um, we've got good friends, uh, here, um, just, you know, couples rather like Chris and Carmen, Gil and Alexia, um, you know, Lee and Crystal. Um, gosh, I mean, I'm simple, man. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a, like a big cheese, like, oh, you know, I want to have, you know, these people around because they're ball players or they're athletes or they're, you know, this, um, just give me real people, like just real authentic, organic people, you know, that are, they just have a, and they don't even have to be believers, but they just, they have an openness and willingness for, love and life and truth, because I feel like those are the people that you can, you know, really go deeper, you know, with. So as far as food, um, I think my favorite, like type of cuisine, I I think, you know, if I looked at the last couple of weeks, like, what do I eat the most of? And I think it's like Mexican food, you know, I think Mexican food is like, 
I try to live a keto lifestyle for the most part, but 100% of weakness is like chips and yeah. queso or like chips. That's why I don't go to Mexican restaurants. Wow. I, I, can't, I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like my willpower when they bring the chips and they're hot and I'm like, and everyone else is eating them. I'm like, yeah. I either got to get up or I'll just yeah. give in. Yeah. Yeah. That's so of all the, you know, Hey, Italian food, I can't really do much Italian anymore because there's, there's just too many carbs. Um, but, you know, whether it's, you know, seafood's great, it's good. But if I just had to live off of something or if it was like, all right, this is the one meal, it's going to be give me great Mexican. So, I mean, it could be, it could even be Papacitos, which is a little bit of a chain, um, but they've got their chips. When you talk about hot chips that that just melt in your mouth and then like the salsa, like those are, those are tough. Um, they're tough to lay off of. Let's just say, let's that slider that. Two two yeah. slider that's like just, just right off the head, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can't lay off of it. So that's oh, what yeah, I would yeah. say. But I would invite, especially after today, Matt and Leslie Holiday, they'd be on my list. We'll go to well, Ollie oh. Chips is also with you for sure. Yeah, I was like, hey, we'll go get to some Javi, more of that. Javier's in, in uh, Orange County. Oh, oh, you're yeah, that's Newport Beach or where? Yeah. Las Vegas. Newport I've been Beach. to both of those. The water. Okay. We'll have Javier's chips and salsa. Oh yeah. Yeah. That yeah, that's like, uh, we should do that. We'll save up. I'll have we to save up that. for that. I know, right? That's big league Mexican right there. Like you gotta you gotta save a check or two if you're yeah, gonna go there and, exactly. and take everybody. Yeah, awesome. Oh my well, we goodness. appreciate you coming on. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Table 40 with Matt and Leslie Holiday, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more stories on sports intersecting with faith, visit sportsspectrum.com.